Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We begin with our top story. Coming off the back of a sell-off in both stocks and bonds, traders pushing back Fed rate cut bets following a hot CPI report. Russ Kostrick of BlackRock holding on to June, saying this, the CPI print illustrates, while inflation is decelerating, it will not be a straight path. We continue to believe that June is the most likely month for the Fed to begin cutting. We expect three rather than four to five cuts this year. Russ, I'm pleased to say, joins us now. So Russ, let's talk about the data. Let's build on yesterday, this morning. Is that enough to derail? the Goldilocks soft landing hopes and dreams of 2024. <laughs> Good morning, Jonathan. Uh, I don't think so. You know, the number was a bit hot. Just, you know, to remind everybody, we were expecting 0.3 on core. We got 0.39. Uh, clearly the wrong direction. But, you know, there is some estimation error around this. And I think the broader issue is inflation is heading lower. But there are parts of it on the service side that are sticky. Uh, we saw that again on owner equivalent equivalent rent. And while it is going to go down, it's not sliding as fast as the market had expected or as quickly as you needed to, to validate that narrative from late 2023, when the Fed was going to start cutting in March and they were going to cut seven or eight times. We still think the Fed will begin cutting late this spring or in the summer. We still think three, maybe four cuts are likely. But again, it's just not going to be a straight line. And there are going to be months where you get a little bit of a backup. So I don't think the narrative changes. But again, taking some air out of that sort of high expectation we had back in late 2023. Russ, let's take stock, though, of where the economic mix is at the moment. Output data, the economy a little bit hotter than we thought it would be. Maybe shelter inflation a little bit stickier as well. When you look at that as a mix for the time being, is that bad for both stocks and and bonds or better for one versus the other? Well, I think it's better for stocks, uh, is the short answer. I mean, obviously, yesterday was a tough number for the bond market. It reacted as you'd expect it to. Stocks took their cue from bonds. But, you know, the flip side of this is we have an economy that, let's say we get 2.5% inflation in 2024, and we get another 2% growth, which might even be on the low side. If you've got 4.5% nominal GDP, there's a decent shot that earnings estimates uh, are probably a bit too low, and we're actually going to beat that. So I think that despite yesterday's action of the stock market, it's probably going to be a decent year for U.S. equities. We can probably put another 6 7 8% of what we've already done year to date, and there's reason to stay long equities. Well, this really raises a question of which equities, uh, in particular, because some of the more cyclically exposed uh, stocks, and I'm thinking particularly small caps, have gotten more and more beaten up the more people push back their expectations for rate cuts. When does that stop? Well, I think it's why small caps are getting beat up. You know, last year you had this this beta-driven rally in November and December after a tough late summer and fall, and small caps benefited. 
I think the problem for small caps right now, it's an odd point in the cycle to get long small caps. The quality is much lower than the large and the mega caps. And as we saw again yesterday, they are rate sensitive. So if we have an environment where rates are not falling as quickly as the market believed, small caps, early growth, you know, these parts of the market are sensitive. So I think the short answer to your question is what we're doing, we're barbelling the portfolio. We're still long uh, many of the mega cap tech names that are high in quality. We think benefit from long-term secular themes. And we're also long higher quality cyclicals. There's still a lot of parts of the market in airlines, in autos, and parts of the consumer sector and healthcare that are actually pretty cheap, despite you know the premium that the market trades at. Large parts of the market were left behind last year, and there is some value there. How underweight uh, bonds are you? Because you do see that as sort of the underperforming sector in a scenario that you just put out there. Yes, uh, we are still a little bit underweight bonds, you know, in our, our main fund, you know, call it maybe half a year relative to our benchmark. So we have been cautious. Uh, we do think that spread assets still look good. You can carry in the portfolio well something. You probably have not been able to say for 15 years, but the long end of the curve in particular, we've remained cautious. Part of it is, you know, the over-optimism about when the Fed's going to cut and how much. And the other part of that is supply. We're still in an environment where you've got a significant amount of supply with some of the actors backing away in terms of who's buying that. So uh, still have been underweight bonds, again, with most of them underweight, concentrated on the long end of the Treasury curve. Thanks the question, Russ. When did you start getting interested? 450, 475, you're waiting for 5% again? You know, I, I think it's a good question. I don't think, you know, 450, I mean, again, it's always de dependent upon the context. And obviously, if you're printing hot on inflation, uh, you know, that, that number goes up. But, you know, it's a rough estimate. Yeah, I think if you got to 450, it starts to get a more in bit more interesting because we do think inflation is heading down. We do think you're going to see core inflation probably in the 2 to 2.5% range by the end of the year. So if the market gives you an opportunity and you're seeing 450, then I do think it becomes a bit more interesting uh, relative to where we were a couple months ago. Russ, what do you do on a day like today, or a day like yesterday, I should say? Are you the kind of person that says, okay, sell off, this is a dip, it's viable? Or are you the kind of person that says, you know what, we have our allocations, just stay steady and uh, see how things go? Look, I think the market did give you some opportunities yesterday. I mean, particularly in the morning, the late afternoon, you know, that's a pretty dramatic sell off. Uh, there were parts of the market that, you know, you may want to go back and, and take a look at. But like, I, I do think that the narrative did not change yesterday. It reminded us that the path down inflation is going to be bumpy. It's not a straight line, but we still believe the economy is in good shape and inflation is heading lower. So I think the short answer is you mostly stick to your plan. Let's talk about your plan with regards to equities and finish on that overweight inequities that you were talking to Lisa about. Is the U.S. still the only game in town? I don't think it's the only game in town. Uh, we actually also have an overweight in Japanese equities, which would be interesting for the first time. And, you know, take your pick years, decades. Uh, but I do think the U.S. Is, is the best game in town, and there are a couple reasons for that. The U.S. is still the most resilient economy. We're, we're seeing that every day with the economic data generally coming in strong. But beyond that, you know, we still like this theme of quality. We like consistency. We like profitability. And we look throughout the world, and we look for companies that have those characteristics. We still find more of them in the United States in tech, in healthcare, and consumer discretionary than anywhere else in the world. Hey, Russ, good to catch up. Russ Kostrick there of BlackRock.
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.